Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. In another installment of March Madness, we're going to be partying like it's 1998 on Normies Like Us. Rise and shine, Mr. Freeman. The Bible calls this day Armageddon. There will be no mercy. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Welcome back, Normies. As I mentioned up top, it's a special March Madness episode, and what that means here at Normies Like Us is each host is bringing a topic to the table. This time I did. I'm talking 1998, a year, oddly enough, with your hosts on Normies Like Us, Colin. Uh, m- not quite millennial, but Mike, Mike millennial nearly. <laughs> Almost Mike millennial. Uh, yes. Joe? Uh, this is uh, 90s kid Jacob over here. <laughs> Only he would go. understand. Only <laughs> Jacob understands being a skater boy in his vans. Yeah. Um, 1998. <laughs> Capri Sun. Guys, I think pretty much the same age range for us. We were all kind of in the 8, 9, 10. What, can I add, what, what does it make us? We are millennials, I guess? No, we're boomers. Now. Yes, we're millennials. Yeah. Ah, okay, millennial. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah, we're millennials. Yeah, I was uh, I was nine, and then near the end of the year, I, I turned ten. So, mm. you know, they call Gen Z Zoomers. So, I guess millennials would be Moomers. <laughs> Moomers. Yeah, yeah, Moomers. Yeah, that's I'm gonna start about that. right. That's what I feel like. I don't, I don't think it's gonna catch on. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we said Cowabunga in the nineties. Yes, that's right. That's true. <laughs> Radical. Okay, Moomer. <laughs> yeah, Cowabunga right. Boomer. Um, 1998, guys, kind of a weird topic, a passion of mine. What I want to do on this episode is kind of relate just interesting anecdotes about 1998. I don't want this to be a stick in the mud podcast. Uh, It used to be better podcast. I'm not one of those guys. I don't believe the past was cooler. I love technology. I love now. Uh, Me too. Yeah. So it's not, it's not about that. I guess it's just more about Odd, interesting comparisons about how the year 1998 was maybe the year Normie was invented. Maybe the year this podcast kind of started in our minds. Um, And some odd comparisons about weird things that happened in that year that are kind of going on now. Trigger warning. We're going to talk politics a little bit. I'll uh, I'll front porch that right now. We're also going to mention Harvey Weinstein. Bill Clinton, am I right? You skip this Uh, one. Yeah, exactly. um, Certainly... Context of professional works, not yes. uh, anything beyond. <laughs> I'm here for that. We're just talking about the year, guys. We're talking about the weird things. So we do the question up top. I'll just ask you guys, does anything stand out uh, about 1998 to you guys? To me, it was maybe the best year of my life. We said it before. At nine years old, it was probably the best year of my life. My parents had been split up for like two years by that point. So we were in that sweet spot where they hadn't started seeing anybody and all their attention <laughs> was at us. And it was maybe movies every weekend. Oh, man. Nice. Getting like two sets of uh, gifts and stuff for birthdays. Yeah, exactly. And, and really, okay, really just okay. living in the excess of the late 90s. But does anything stand out like Mike? Anything about 1998 in particular you're remembering? Well, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I've been revisiting a game unbeknownst to me. This will be a little bit of a watchy that ties into 98. I played a lot of Bushido Blade 2 at that time. And I just got the world record in speedrunning for that game. Like a week Incredible. Ago. I do not know what that game is. That is incredible, Mike. It's fine. But it's just interesting that you picked that year. And then I just happened to transport myself 
you know, by choice back there. But, you know, it's like there's a lot of stuff you have in here that I don't want to spoil off the top. But I have some very fond memories of 1998 pop culture, and I'm excited to get in there. Perfect. How about you, Jacob? Um, well, I mean, I kind of agree with you, Colin. My, my hot take is that, uh, I didn't really like the nineties, not a big fan. Uh, you know, I like current day much better. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't have a lot of nostalgia for the nineties. Uh, you know, not great times for me as a, as a young eight year old child. Um, but you know what? I actually prefer 1999 to 98. So I guess that's my other hot take. That's that's a song bias. That is the other point <laughs> I want to make with this episode. That damn Prince song. Prince, we yeah. talked about it up top. <laughs> it is a song bias. Everybody's like, the millennium was just coming up. 1999. That's the year. No, guys. 1998. And uh, specifically, <laughs> Joe, how about your 1998? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure it was fine. I was <laughs> a child. Um you know, like the late 90s, they all kind of blur together, right? So you have, I think 98 was like one of the years of the 64. Um, mm-hmm. That's big. I have like one weird memory of uh, seeing A Bug's Life. I was home sick from school and my mom was like, you want to go see this movie in the middle of the day? And I was like, but I'm homesick. I can't just go to the movies. She was like, nah, fuck it. It's fine. And like that, wow. that kind of sticks out, I guess. Nice. Nice. Okay. That reminds me. Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure if this movie came out in 98 or 99 or around then, but my first uh, PG-13 um, theater experience was going to see Titanic with my parents. And, uh, you know, I was only eight years old in 98, so wow. that was kind of a big deal and for me. And then steamy I steamy in that car scene, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And then actually, well, um, that didn't bother me, but the I actually had nightmares from watching Titanic as a kid. And I had to sleep in my older brother's room that night because, you know, the scene where the smokestack like falls on Leonardo DiCaprio's friend in the water, Mm -hmm. that scene like gave me legit nightmares. And uh, yeah, that was rough. (laughs) I'm just glad it wasn't Billy Zane related nightmares. Um, (laughs) That movie comes from December. Yeah, December 97. So it's possible you were watching it in Uh, 1998. Yeah. My my aunt sent us to the snack counter when the nudity scene came up. No way. Is that true, Mike? I never saw it. Yeah, they plotted against me, man. Wow. I never had a parent that was like, avert your gaze. (laughs) Yeah, only my aunt. Yeah. So. All right. Anyhow. Well, guys, I'm glad that you're kind of stood out to you. We're talking movies. Let's go ahead and dive in. I want to make some points about the movies of 1998 maybe having an impact on the movies of today. Let's hit it. All right, guys, uh, normies, it's incredible that you're joining us on this adventure, too. I just tricked out this DeLorean. Now, my fellow hosts and I have just successfully jumped back in time. It is, of course, the year 1998 now, and uh, we're about to live it up. To give you guys some context, Sports World, um, uh, you got the Niners are obviously huge right now. They've got uh, two great wide receivers, Jerry Rice and T.O. And in the basketball world, guys... Blown up with this guy, Michael Jordan, and his other uh, uh, teammate, a guy whose real name is The Worm, I believe. Correct, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Bulls. 
That's crazy. That's right. This is post Space Jam too. That's true. 49ers highly relevant in a post Space Jam world. But out of sports world, we're talking movies. We're talking the movies of 1998 now, guys. Two big movies come out this year. You've obviously got the biggest movie of all time, believe it or not. It's Michael Bay's Armageddon. Obviously, we all have a zillion fond move memories about that, but that is blowing up the box office. You also have a passion project from a beloved filmmaker. Steven Spielberg releases, of course, Saving Private Ryan. Wow. That is huge. Did you guys see both of those in theaters? Yes. Uh, One out of I two. Did. I, you saw Saving Private Ryan. You guys didn't I see Armageddon. Armageddon in theaters? Oh, okay. Thank you, Joe. No, I saw Armageddon in theaters, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a, a big Ben Affleck guy after that point. I was like, he's so cool. Um, <laughs> do I have oh, your my brother no my brother worked at a movie theater we had an armageddon poster in our basement oh dude that's oh well this is the time that we had like deep impact and armageddon back to back right like two meteor movies and Good yeah Hunting. this is that year literally mike uh we've got the doppelganger film phenomenon sort of starting there but armageddon blowing up the box office blowing up the earth obviously a huge hit um you know, just indicative of these huge, large, bloated blockbusters we're going to get the, for the rest of our lives. Obviously, the most famous story we know now is Ben Affleck on the commentary track talking to Michael Bay saying, well, wouldn't it be cheaper to just teach astronauts how to drill? Hey, <laughs> hey shut up. He literally said to him on set, shut up. Don't ever say that again. And it's like, oh, man. That's hilarious. Yep. And we were introduced to Arwin, uh, Liv Tyler, and, uh, you know, I don't want to close my eyes. What a oh song. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to close my eyes. You had films that could literally just be like, look, the trailer for this is going to be a music video. There's going to be a music video in the middle of the movie. I don't know. Just sell it on that. I do feel like, you know, you're pitching that 98 is the year that Normie began. And just looking at the movies that did come out this year, it is crazy. And just the top of the, the heap here is like Armageddon saving Private Ryan. But it's so, insane. Yeah. Yeah, Armageddon obviously making the most money. Saving Private Ryan, it was the box office beauty in that everybody thought that thing's going to get Oscar gold. It's going to be the biggest movie of the year. An upset this year, guys. I don't know how interested you were in the movie world. I wasn't even watching the Oscars at this point. But still, I hear heard people talk in 1998 saying, can you believe Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. That's right, and... Uh, this is kind of where the uh, Harvey Weinstein angle comes in, right? Because this is the heyday of, uh, you know, co- movie studios really lobbying and using marketing to boost their movies in uh, award seasons. Mm. And the pinnacle of that was Shakespeare in Love, promoted by Miramax, aka, um, you know, Harvey, we- Harvey and uh, Bob Weinstein's company. And this was like their crown jewel of getting this to win over... Uh, you know, saving prior Ryan. So very topical today. Well, and an interesting connection here, Jacob, again, a Ben Affleck movie. Ben Affleck plays, uh, I don't believe Christopher Marlowe. I believe he just plays like a random actor who's in Shakespeare's company too, who famously said mm. to Weinstein, shouldn't a British person play this part? And he said, shut up. You're beautiful. <laughs> it's going to win best picture. Literally. I mean, there was an internet at this time, normies. You have to understand, but there weren't really chat rooms where people were sort of putting out this collective knowledge. I don't even know how it was passed on, but I knew the name Harvey Weinstein. As a nine-year-old. It's crazy. As a nine-year-old. 
And people were already saying, again, like you guys just pointed out, what a weird control and precision and just like, just he was the film industry. Yeah. And it was really indicative of everything that was wrong with the movie industry in the late 90s. And like just, you know, people making movies solely for the purpose of like getting Oscars. And luckily, I think that's changed a little bit in recent years and in, in marketing is not as important although we did just have green book win uh last year and yeah. that was pretty bad but <laughs> but jacob you're um, seeing the death of the movie star happen in real time from 1998 on like you just said there was mm. so much bloat of harvey weinstein would literally say i can pair two people up and make a winning picture and from here on out like there's gonna be some rough times for some of these people 1997 guys will smith is coming off men in black 1998, he's supposed to release Wild Wild West. Trailers are in theaters. People are like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, this is going to (laughs) be fucking amazing. This is a franchise starter. It's a dumb TV show that some people liked that they can mine everything out of, make it super consumable, and just sell to the masses. It gets delayed. There are issues, there are problems, there are reshoots, and we see sort of the construction of a studio machine taking over movies. Also, you also have the the birth of like the nostalgia reigns, right? So you had Wild Wild West, Charlie's Angels, all of these former TV shows now becoming big blockbuster movies. Lost in Uh, Space. Wild Wild West, Lost in Space. Yeah, like this was the birth of of nostalgia culture, really. Even Godzilla, to a degree, was like, you know, a a famous property that's being adapted again for the big screen in in the way it hadn't been in the U.S. at that point. That's a lot of fresh. First Godzilla movie I ever saw. (laughs) And I was going to mention that on the topic of Will Smith, he turned down The Matrix to make Wild Wild West as well. So, in case you didn't know that, yeah, they wouldn't let him sing. We need Wild Wild West over The Matrix. (laughs) I want the theme song for The Matrix that would have happened in that universe, though. (laughs) Take the blue or red pill. I choose neither. Um, (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Wiggity whack. Do your homework. Oh, no. It's the robots. Do you guys have um, a favorite movie from 98? Because you guys are talking Saving Private Ryan got snubbed. But I think, you know, if you, you asked me 10 years old, I'd be wondering why Small Soldiers wasn't considered the best military movie of the year. Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> I that's love hard Joe Dante. Back. I love Gremlins. I didn't know who that was or that they were connected. But, you know, I, I you know that's a classic, you know. And, like, they're rebooting that. Aren't they were re-releasing the toys, as we, we mentioned, right? I think so. Yeah, there's customizers out there making them. Okay, that's is, right. So the nostalgia you know, it is high. still stands the test of time. Yeah, it's people our age who are like, oh, I love that. I'm going to make them. Yeah. So that's my pick for what I was watching at that age. Not like in hindsight looking back at what was the best, but mm. I think at that age I was re-watching Small Soldiers a lot once it made it to the video circuit. And I hated Godzilla. I love that film, Mike. I yeah. love that film. But Jacob, this is kind of a perfect spot. Then you added a couple movies to my 1998 poll list. If you want to throw those out, I thought they were oh, great yeah. inclusions. The only reason I didn't include one, I'll shout out. Uh, you put Wes Anderson's Rushmore on here. It wasn't his debut film. Obviously, he had Bottle Rockets earlier in the 90s. Right. Otherwise, I would have thrown that on. Bottle Rockets with Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. Um, yeah, Rushmore is not my favorite Wes Anderson movie. That would be the Royal Tenenbaums, but uh, it did come out in 98. Uh, also, Truman Show, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. And one other one that came out in October 97, 
that I could you could still consider ninety eight because people were still watching it then. Um, but maybe my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time, maybe my all time favorite movie, um, and by one of my favorite directors, Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm talking Boogie Nights, one of the wow. greatest movies ever that made. Counts. That absolutely, we take ownership <laughs> for that immediately. Maybe the best comedy I love of Bo- all time. Boogie Nights. Sure. Yeah. Also indicative of just you know, guys. That's Marky Mark's first starring role. Is Mark Wahlberg not uh, one of the role. biggest things in the world right now? Come on. Say hi to your mother for me. <laughs> I think it's definitely his best role. You got John C. Riley. You got an amazing uh, supporting cast. Just just a great movie. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. Well, if we're allowed to include the uh, films right before it, there is another one in late 97. Joe, am I going to say, is this your favorite movie in 1998? Is it Batman and Robin? Does it just have to be? Do we have to see? I mean, the death of Batman is dead at this point in the universe. Like, Joe, people didn't think there was ever going to be another Batman movie again in 1998. And now we have this weird tension about a weird new Batman movie in 2020. Yeah. No, I think, like, do you guys remember getting magazines that were for the movie? Because there wasn't the internet. You weren't watching the trailers over and over again. But they would release, like three or four issues of a magazine that was just called like Batman and Robin. And it would have like screen grabs from the trailer and like concept art and stuff. Those. And I remember this being like the first year, like I really got into like trailers. So these, these random action adventure movies like lost in space. um, And then I remember seeing the mummy trailer, Mm -hmm. um, the mystery men trailer, the wild, wild West trailers. Like we talked about. These were like the first time where I was like, oh, I can't be late to a movie because I have to see those. Like, I Ooh, love It's an those. appointment all of a sudden, Joe. I do love that. That's a good point. And, you know, you're totally right. How else were you digesting this material at this time? I wasn't really a big magazine guy. My family was not going to those at the Kroger's and just being like, hey, let's add this on. So every little inch that I got out of something, I'd be like, oh, my God, there is going to be a Lost in Space movie. I don't know anything about Lost in Space, but I've already decided no, it's going to be my favorite But it's the coolest thing, thing ever to me yeah, now. exactly. And I'll tell you <laughs> why also to tie into your episode. It's because I was walking to Toys R Us after school and I was going up those aisles and already seeing that there was a shitload of Lost in Space toys. Yeah. I mean, this was also, you know, like Batman and Robin, they were still selling those toys in 98. A lot of those toys didn't come out until 98. You had the like run it under hot water and Robin's mask disappears or, or reappears. And like the kind of play sets they were putting out, like all oh, that stuff was in 98. Cause Joel Schumacher was basically like, okay, you want to sell toys? Like, well, I'll just change up everything. We'll, we'll, we'll have like four I'll Batmobiles put nipples on the bat suit. That's what kids <laughs> like Joe. Yeah. That will sell the most toys. Yeah. Do you ever think about the world where we would have gotten Batman triumphant? Like, the, the, uh, the continuation of that universe. Yeah. I've heard a great podcaster, Matt Gorley, throw out that he believes that heaven is a uh, video rental store where you can get every movie you ever wanted to see, like John Carpenter's Scream or Tim Burton's oh. Batman Triumphant and or all that Snyder bullshit. Or the Snyder Cut. Yeah. <laughs> so mean. So mean. They to don't have that. Our one. 80% fan base. Everybody knows the normies are Snyder Cutters. Yeah, yeah, probably. It's interesting the so, points you're bringing up though, like things about like Batman and Robin. We had the new Batman teaser. Mulan came out that year. Mulan is coming out this year. 
Blade on, came Mike, out. There's a new easy. Blade in the works. Like everything that did come yeah. out in '98 is just coming back again. Give me a faculty. Where's Godzilla, uh, Josh Hartnett? Godzilla versus King Kong. I mean, like we're just making them bigger and badder. And this is <laughs> the start the of making stuff. them big. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, superhero movies also tying into Wild Wild West, um, you know, Kevin Smith was uh, going to make Superman, right? And uh, if you you guys probably heard him tell the story before of how the producer of Superman, who's this crazy guy, wanted John to have a giant... Peters. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to have yeah. a giant robot spider in the Superman movie. And eventually, he was also the producer of Wild Wild West. That shows up in Wild Wild West. Right? He gets oh. his robot spider. Yep, he finally oh. got I'll it. I'll do you worse, <laughs> guys. I'll do you a thousand times worse. Surely you're sitting there and normies, you're listening to this and being like, these people who make these de- decisions surely aren't still in control of movies. John Peters still owns the Superman and Batman rights. Every time one of those movies gets made, guess what, guys? He gets a fucking cut of that. Let's talk about screenwriter Akiva Goldsman. Akiva Goldsman, I don't have the Wikipedia in front of me right now, did Punch Up on Wild Wild West, wrote Men in Black, did most of the Will Smith movies, you know, I Am Legend, all that other stuff. Akiva Goldsman, guess what, guys? Works so much now as a producer, a suit at Paramount where he's making executive decisions. If you're like me, you're fucking baffled that he still likes to get, like, story by and writing credits, like he gets his hands dirty. Guess what, guys? He writes that dumb Picard show you don't like. Yep, he's killing yeah, he's, Picard. <laughs> no, he's mostly attached to things that suck, so yeah, <laughs> even today. He's actively How killing Star Trek Only right now. from 1998 on can white men just fail <laughs> upwards endlessly. It is just impressive the amount of control that we have had forever. I, I Forgive me, Normies, I've never had an ounce of it, <laughs> and I don't think any of us have here either. <laughs> it's, been, it's been long coming since colonialization, so I guess it's due. Um, it's true. Right. But Star Trek Insurrection also came out. So, again, tying back to things that were contemporary, 98, that we're still seeing. And, you know, Picard was an insurrection. So there you go. Totally. And we mentioned before, obviously, the big thing now, the Marvel movies, I would call it very akin to those adaptations we were talking about earlier. Godzilla, Wild Wild West. Um, those films were created, Lost in Space, where literally you're like, you're going to see the sequel. And we never did, guys. <laughs> Well, it's kind of an unusual time for blockbusters because it was right before the superhero boom that kind of started with X-Men and and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. That really kind of kicked it off. So this is like right before that. Uh, But a lot of these movies were like pretty much uh, critical failures like Godzilla. So this is 98. And then in 2000 and 2001 are the years you're going to start really getting the boom. Yeah. So like they were casting somewhere. Brian Singer was talking to Hugh Jackman. Uh, (laughs) Oh, really? They were like so. That's we're directly on the precipice. Wow, with yeah, BS. basically with some BS bullshit. But guys, yeah. we said Blade, nineteen ninety eight. That's the first Marvel adaptation of a movie. I mean, they're just fucking going balls to the walls on that. Well, Captain America, the movie. Well, yes, all those <laughs> in Fantastic Four, the movie. Mike, don't you dare, don't you ever <laughs> you know bring what? those up. Roger I'm Corman, about the good stuff, baby. But I'm yeah, with yeah, you, yeah. yeah. Let's talk a second about the horror movies of 1998, because I think this is important to bring up, too. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, again, we mentioned him before, Miramax was the king here. 
Harvey Weinstein really had his hands in every pie in this. Scream did amazing right before this. You have to understand, Normies, what this did to the horror landscape from here on out. Kevin Williamson, creator of I Know What You Did Last Summer and writer of Scream, literally gets paid to do a treatment of Halloween H2O. Just mm. just gets paid to, what could you do with this? What could you do with this failure of a thing? Could you please do an outline of it? At the very least, you god, you genius who, who realized that putting hot teen celebrities together is the, is the key to saving horror films. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? I mean, they, 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 it worked in the 70s and 80s. That's right. Let's just slash them up again, but let's make them acerbic. Let's make them talk like they're in Tarantino movies, Mike. Mm-hmm. Let's do the faculty. Let's uh, let's do. I know what you did last summer again. I know what you still did last summer. I still know. Yeah. What about a uh, new nightmare? When did that come out? I'm thinking probably a Freddy couple years bitch. earlier. What was that 1999? <laughs> maybe the next year. Yeah, yeah that's that, 99. That one's a great one, like, though. Yeah, the faculty. I love. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. Jennifer Love Hewitt became. You know endeared to the american teenage boy population i think through those films um (laughs) but like talking about halloween like you had halloween h2o was kind of meant to be the return to form for halloween right because the franchise had kind of gotten stale at that point we just saw halloween come back and now next year we're gonna get halloween kills so like again it's shows those parallels perfect the, the mm-hmm. fact that by 1998, Jamie Lee Curtis is like, finally, I will return to this franchise that started me. I've, I've grown not above it, but I've accepted who I am. Years after that, nothing, nothing, nothing. We're back, baby. We're, we're in the sweet Jamie Lee zone. She's back. I need to get a Freaky Friday crossover. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, I guess it was a killer um, year for horror movies. It was a killer year for horror movies, Mike, and I would say that this period, of course, led to the art horror that we are experiencing now. Mm. We're seeing a lot of very young talent who literally say things like, well, Scream's my favorite movie. Well, you know, there's only one good Halloween movie, and it's H2O. Or, oh, man, the faculty, come on, that is my shit. And uh, it's just very interesting to see the Ari Asters of the world be able to do their weird, smart, gruesome horror that's away from the slasher and is really more towards, I don't know, just body and mysticism again. Yeah, and the thing with Screen specifically was that it was uh, like a commentary on horror movies, but it was also still scary. So it like worked on both levels. And I feel like that really inspired a lot of the self-aware type of horror movies that we have today. 1998, the the same year, Urban Legend is literally like, well, what if we did horror, you know how Scream did horror movies? What if we do the Urban Legends? And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Just fucking make it. Get Jared Leto out there and fucking make it. Yeah. And you look at something like like, uh, uh, Cabin in the Woods, that's like directly... You know, Descended. evolved from from Scream, basically, yeah, and so many movies DNA. today, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think the horror scene was really solid. I remember, you know, slumber parties watching these. They're like they're to me, they feel like classics. I mean, I could rewatch like those were on TV. I would probably sit down and finish them, and and if I encounter them in the wild. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, Mike. I want to throw this out to you guys. I find this in my age, even with movies from 1998. Like, I was literally just putting on Armageddon before we started here on HBO nice. Now, guys. Check it out. 
Uh, I find in my age, I don't need to watch the start of movies. I pretty much start every movie that I've watched before halfway through. Is is that just like, is that too much? I just feel like I'm fucking wasting my time here, guys. I just got to get to the good bits and get in, going In Medius here. Rex, yes. The best place to start any story, right in the middle. Well, and sometimes I do the opposite. I'll just watch the beginning and be like, yeah, that's good. Good that's night. all I yeah. needed. Yeah. Let me right. just, uh, yeah, pop on the first 10 minutes of Armageddon, get this oil rig scene. All yeah. Right. Shouldn't yeah, have started the, a movie yeah, at I just like the parts about Ben Affleck lying to Bruce Willis about the relationship. I don't, I don't like to see that any gun. of the meteor stuff. <laughs> yeah, an oil rig, that's cool. Yeah, that's the cool part. Um, <laughs> last kind of things I would want to point out. Really, the only other big things culturally that were going on in the movies at the time were SNL stars were huge. Mm-hmm. This was the year of Adam Sandler. We did get the water boy and, um, uh, oh, what's the other? Uh, the Wedding Singer, same year, yes. 1998. He was the biggest box office star for comedies. Is he still now? Obviously, you see his weird Netflix deals, but it's interesting that nobody on SNL now really has a standalone movie career. Even mm. um, Kate, what's Kate her McKinnon. name? Even Kate, Kate McKinnon, McKinnon would be the closest. she really only services Kate. ensembles, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I no, feel like there's no single standout anymore. Yeah, after the Bill Haters and the Kristen Wiig, that kind of generation all left, it's like SNL is just like devoid of stars. Oh, yeah. I guess. Normies, if you wanted us to I mean, do I would just say an episode like, on comedy, like we should do yeah. that because they really don't make comedy movies anymore, right? I would say well, Will Ferrell was the last star that they had. It's like even like Kristen, Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader, like those people are great. You're not going to see, you know – uh, like bridesmaids isn't like a goofy character that Kristen Wiig invented. No, like it's a heartfelt comedy, you know, that goes, it's not like semi-pro or the other guys. Yeah. They There's, don't make Anchorman and Talladega Nights anymore for sure. No. There's like distinct periods of time that Adam Sandler was king, distinct periods of time that Will Ferrell was king. But with, like you said, those other talents, they have some hits here and there, but they were never dominant at that same level. And Michael Myers took the, the scraps in between the two eras. <laughs> and never forget Master Disguise. Guys, but we'll do a whole episode on that um, later, Norris. Oh, you know did you know? <laughs> Master Disguise is terrible, Jacob, if you were about to defend that. No, I was gonna I was gonna say Austin Powers, that used to be like the biggest thing in the world, and now oh, you know it's like nobody remembers. No, no, I watched man, all I, of those movies. I this sat month. down I at a table and other kids like explained to me what the word vagina meant when I after I watched that movie because the <laughs> chick a lot of vagina. And everybody was like, Do you know what that means? I was like, I have no idea. Uh, I just wanted to point out, though, (laughs) it's very subtle. I just wanted to point out there real quick, Joe, just because you said his name. Did you know Michael Myers, Mike Myers, was asked to do a cameo in Halloween H2O where Jamie Lee Curtis walks by him, does a double take, takes a breath, relieved that it's not her Michael Myers, but he (laughs) turned it down. Oh, that's good. (laughs) That movie has so many cool meta like moments. I mean, you have... The original Psycho reference, Jimmy Lee Curtis is driving the car from Psycho. Her mom's in it for a scene. Like Joe, when they see her, they play the song from Psycho. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Until David Gordon Green's one came out two years ago, that was my favorite one outside of the first. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, honestly, I think it's still mine. I like it more than the the last one. But we'll see with Halloween Kills. I think that might be uh, bringing back some of the H2O energy. Very cool. I hope so, guys. Last thing I want to point out, if we're past our horror phase again, is just the TV at the time. It's important to paint the portrait of 1998 
in what little Colin was running home from school to watch, which was a lot of Dragon Ball Z, which was, let's face it, the first anime that ever came over here. It kind of got everyone in my generation interested in Japan, I would say. Mm. I think, like, definitely Dragon Ball is, like, the most normie of animes because it was most accessible. I mean, I remember seeing that, like, pretty early on. Um, My Cartoon Network played it. I mean, how could you? It was like you would literally just flip through and be like, it's a cartoon. The words aren't matching what they're saying, but stuff's exploding. Yeah, yeah. Tsunami, man. Exactly. We had a couple anime tapes. Like I had watched some stuff before that. Sci-Fi Channel would do uh, Sci-Fi Week during the summer or or Anime Week during the summer. But outside of that, if you weren't dialed in, like Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon was really the start of that for everybody. Yo, Mike, anime tapes that you bought or anime tapes that you recorded? Because the cooler, older brothers when I was young would be like, yeah, you see those? Those are bootleg Dragon Ball tapes that I bought from Japan. They have blood. I was like, what? Oh, damn. We didn't get that crazy out in Chardon, Ohio. But that's, yeah, like that's how hard it was to get because, again, no internet. So Dragon Ball Z and... um, It was all eBay. I mean, yeah, there was light internet, but it was, yeah, you you just weren't doing profile You're not streaming it. It's essentially, yeah, what I'm saying. You had to get a See, I was, uh, personally, I was never into Dragon Ball Z. I never really got into it. I did watch Toonami when I was younger, maybe not in 98 because I was a little bit younger than that but i i did get into like uh mobile suit gundam and some of the different Which was um, for sure. gundam is the one that replaced dragon ball z after uh, yeah its run was done and they ran out of episodes for a little bit so i think yeah. that was like my prime cartoon watching period it was like mobile suit gundam and and shows like that i think full metal alchemist that might have been a little, Came later, a little bit later as well as things yeah like, yeah um, definitely but all paid the path. and shit yeah. yeah but started with dragon ball now it's it's every gym bro's favorite anime Right. Yeah. And that game just came out this year. So again, the 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 new um, Kakarot game just came out. So it's all it's all still relevant. Dragon Ball's eternal. People still love the franchise. Mm -hmm. 1998. Also, just again to show you how strong Kevin Williamson was, he got a TV show on air, and it was called Dawson's Creek, guys. And and that solidified with that, and the fact that I would say Charmed come out the same year. It changed what we called the WB network phenomenally into what it would become, which was basically sexy teens and magic. If you look at what the CW Mm -hmm. is putting out now with the originals, Supernatural, every superhero-based TV show that they adapt and quickly make about relationship dramas, this is where it all started. Sexy teen melodrama and magic. Yeah, you're 100% right, Colin. I just miss the frog and like the actual WB branding. Dub, dub, I hate WB. It's like CW. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that yeah. sexy teens, real quick. It's kind of coming out of the Jennifer Love Hewitts, and I still know what you did, and like it's like that. This is what works. Let's put it on TV and use some little occult in there, right? Oh yeah, people yeah. Again, in like, forty, but they're really eighteen. <laughs> yes. I was I got into That's some WB curse. shows a little bit later than that as well too, like with the Smallville's. I was super into Smallville. 100%, I got I got buddy. into Gilmore Girls. Um, I watched One Tree Hill. My sister was more into that. I didn't really like One Tree Hill very much, but um, I, that was like the prime of, of those WB teen shows for me. Paving thanks, the way. Thanks. Paving I got a couple honorable mentions if I can throw them on for hit me, baby. Last hits. Big Lebowski, come on, the dude. Um, and Dark City. I don't know if you guys saw it. I didn't see it in 98, but I think that's like a really great like sci-fi noir. Dark City and Blade, Mike, artifact. I still stand by the fact that the Wachowskis uh, 
siblings at that time must have seen those films and were literally like, oh yeah, people in black trench coats running on rain soaked rooftops. That is a franchise <laughs> for a movie. And then they just invented the <laughs> That's Matrix. My vibe. With a sprinkle of Dragon Ball punching in it. And it was like, okay, we're good. I'm with you. I can totally get on board with that. Do you guys also remember what a phenomenon uh, the Big Lebowski was just for years afterwards? I don't know if you remember. Just There was, there was a middle-aged group of dudes that just believed that to be the best comedy of all time. I was in college. My roommate, Tyler, shout out to my boy, uh, said to me, hey, it's 9 p.m. Let's go to Myers, the one that was right across Wright State, and let's buy... Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the coolest comedy of the time. And I was like, absolutely, <laughs> let's do that. We walked over to the self-checkout. And the guy behind us was like, what's that movie you're buying? And we said, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And he was like a middle-aged dude. He said, oh, is it funny? And Tyler said, yeah, it's like the funniest movie ever made. And he said, nah, bro, you seen Big Lebowski? I don't think so, man. You seen the Big Lebowski? Tell me that's not the funniest movie ever made. Go home, watch the Big Lebowski. I'm going to do it right now. We are like, oh, man. We're going to make some white Russians. Did you guys do it? Did you go and return Sarah Marshall and grab him? No. Well, no. I don't think I You could have okay boomered him if it was in, yeah. you know, 2020. Yeah. Well, he also don't think I was coming that. back, though. I mean, Big Lebowski's getting a spinoff. So oh, is it? Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. the Jesus. The Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think Forgetting Sarah Marshall is the funniest movie ever made either. Although I do like mm. it. But did you in 2008 <laughs> okay. or whenever that came yeah, out? Russell Brand's there. <laughs> I thought it was very and nice say, and uh, heartwarming. I didn't think it was like a la- like an extremely funny. It was just I think to you're put my forgetting being introduced to British comedian Russell Brand. <laughs> Russell Brand. I think we were yeah. all very excited and believed that to be the funniest movie ever made. Uh, get him to the Greek. Certainly wasn't yeah. the funniest. Now movie that's a movie. <laughs> now that's a movie. That's for sure. All right, we've been talking a lot about the films in 1998. How much they influenced today? How weird they were? How much we love them? Let's get out of that. Let's talk about the video games of 1998, guys. We're back. We're talking the video games of 1998. You're probably picking up your Game Boy right now. You're turning on your N64. This was quite the year for video gaming. Uh, specifically, and just we're getting a lot of popular brands, guys. I don't know about you. I'm sure you had a favorite at the time. I've said before, I think Ocarina of Time, probably one of the best video games ever made. Yeah. Incredibly seminal for what it did just for Nintendo's brand and for what it did for Zelda as a brand as well. But truly, it kind of saved Nintendo's life a little bit as, oh, this N64 thing's going to work. I'll throw it to you guys real quick. Do you have a favorite game of 1998, Mike? Uh, yeah, easily Spyro the Dragon. It's my favorite platform mascot game of all time. I like it more than Mario, more than Crash Bandicoot. It's just not quite as popular. That's why we haven't done an episode yet. And like the Reignited trilogy came out recently. I, I love the Spyro game. I, I got 100% every wow, I was secret. not expecting that. I mean, there's a lot of... I think vi- I knew that, but boy. There's a lot of really good games, though, in this year. But I think Spyro, like... It was just awesome. And I was a PlayStation boy, so I didn't have Mario 64. I didn't have a mascot mm. platformer that felt like that because even Crash was not quite as smooth. Like, Spyro did we do a right. Crash episode on this podcast? Yeah, we did. I think we, yeah, I think we did, Mike. Boy, Normies, I'm going to go back and listen <laughs> to that after this. I don't remember a moment of it. I probably could have done a Spyro podcast over that one. Yeah, Interesting. But we have, this is also the year we got the third uh, Crash game, Warped, was in 98. So, 
Oh, that's true. He kind of shook things up, but that that's me, Spyro. So we can keep. All right. Going. Well, how about you guys, Jacob? So yeah, we're talking. You know, ninety eight. Young Jacob's got an N sixty four. He's got a Game Boy, Game Boy Advance. I don't know if that's come out yet. Um, Game Boy uh, Color would have been Game Boy Color. One. I had like every version of Game Boy. The original Game Boy was the still first one to like two thousand four. <laughs> it's like crazy. Yeah, I had like every model from the first one to like the DS or the DS mini or whatever. Mm. Um, Whenever those splits started happening. Yeah. But N64, uh, if we're, you know, talking young Jacob's favorite games, I didn't have a lot of the, the popular ones you might think. I didn't have uh, Ocarina of Time. I didn't have Mario 64 or anything like that. But the ones I was playing, I had Smash. I had Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I had the, uh, the Pod Racer racing game. Hell yeah. Um, but those are the ones I remember the most. That one existed in 98 before the film came out. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that wasn't no, in 98. Rogue Squadron but, was out for sure. But I mean, that's that era mm. for sure. Yeah. I just remember the pod racer game on N64. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goldeneye. Goldeneye was another oh, one that I played course, the shit out of. Of course. Um, the N64, and Pokemon Snap. Poke- with games I love- you still had to blow on, guys. You wouldn't do that with uh, cartridges anymore. But Joe, did you have a favorite of 1998? Oh, yeah. So, again, I guess it's sort of cheating, but I'll paint you a picture. It's the Christmas of 1997. I'm in Bergen County, New Jersey. I'm sitting in my grandma's living room. Me and my brother open up the Nintendo 64. You were the kid from the video? Um, Basically, (laughs) yeah. So, a snowstorm hits. We're stuck in Jersey for, or at my grandma's house, rather, for like an extra week. So, my first week of 1998 was playing um, Shadows of the Empire while a snowstorm went out, was going on outside, trying to get out of Hoth because Hoth was so difficult to beat. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that game technically came out in September or something like that of 97, but that first week of 98, it was that and Mario 64. And I played those games for like two or three years. You know what I mean? Like this is back when like a game would last forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you wouldn't Very just true. play it and be done. Yeah. That makes so, sense. Yeah. I would say uh, Mario 64 because that was a lot easier to explore was definitely like my game of 98. Nice. Colin, how about you? You played him until uh, you played him until a wampa came in from that snowstorm and just destroyed your system. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> no. Took my brother's arm. You were upside down. You cut his arm off. It was beautiful. Uh, yeah. I just I loved it all, guys. I would say the biggest. If we're going to talk about it, I just don't know if you guys remember so much how much time you spent in malls, in video game stores specifically. Normie's listening to this. You're just thinking of GameStop. There were things called Funko Land, EB Games. Oh, yeah. Um, Babbages. Bullshit like that. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and I just so distinctly remember standing in a game store and seeing the displays for StarCraft for the first time, uh, setting it up and just thinking like, wow, a computer game wow. that just is 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 just seems so much more important, so much more powerful, so much more anticipated then a console game. This really is the first time that was ever happening. Battle.net getting set up. People were playing with each other online. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I couldn't have even fucking dreamed of that as a child. The future is here, right? Yeah. I mean, there was, um, like, StarCraft and then even, 
you know, Half-Life coming out later. It's like PC. Was- well, Quake was the year right before yeah. that, Mike. So Quake gets ported to N64 this year in 1998. But Quake is the first time people are literally playing with each other online going like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're just blowing each other up. And the people at Blizzard are like, let's keep this gravy train moving. Yep. And we're Calling finally on. getting, there was at least technology because people were playing some online games through universities before the internet really became like a common utility. So now that the average person has access, we're starting to see that in a retail market. Um, that, that's right. And, um, you know, I'll do you one better. I, I, I had a PC in the 90s. I didn't, I wasn't into StarCraft, but you know what game I did play a lot of is the Age of Empires series. Uh, you know, the real time strategy game, Age of Empires. Uh, great series. Yeah. I was into like Might and Magic and all those dumb like sit down click ones. A lot of like my dad had Doom, but we really didn't have a lot of computer games. I don't know about you guys. Very famously, I think I told you guys the story and I think I told you normies on this podcast as well. Trying to convince my father just to buy Sims 2 because it came with a DLC where you could see the characters naked. And him reading that on the back of the box and be like, wait, is this why you want to buy this? I was like, no, 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 obviously not. <laughs> No, that's not it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of PC games, actually. We had one PC in the living room, and, you know, I had Age of Empires. I had Wolfenstein 3D. I had uh, Star Wars Dark Forces. Uh, you know, all those games are great. All right, let me ask you this, little Jacob, who is eight or nine <laughs> years old at this time. Does that little boy who is getting nudged by his father to say, hey, get off the computer, get off the dial-up modem, I have to make a phone call. Did you ever yeah. think you would be in your own apartment right now with a computer you built specifically to play video games on. Did you think you'd be part of a vast database library called Steam? Guess what, guys? Half-Life's coming out in 1998. Uh, did you think that they would go on and be like, oh, we're going to be the biggest online video game database of all time? Right. Uh, yeah, I thought all those things. Yeah. Oh, you thought all wow. that. I was you eight. really should have done something about that, yeah. Jacob. You should have played the stock You should have gotten stock in a tech company. You should have pushed forward <laughs> any of those ideas. Started Google. Um, if, if I can, I want to kind of bring us around to the way you, you, you set up this episode as things that Normie started in 98, things that are still relevant now. And we talked about the Nintendo 64. You know, GoldenEye, Ocarina of Time, and Mario 64 are still like three of the biggest speedrunning games, like as far as an active community right wow, now. I didn't know that. They are the most, like Mario 64 is the most prestigious speedrunning game that exists, period. Uh, Mike, you can't give me ideas to like get off this podcast and get on Twitch to watch people play GoldenEye. I can't fucking waste my <laughs> night away doing people this. People are breaking oh, no. GoldenEye records still. Like like oh, two weeks ago, there was a 16-year-old wow. record that got broken. It's crazy. And this uh, Super Mario 64 speedrunner named Cheese in a live marathon broke the record and won $12,000. It's the largest prize pool a speedrunner has ever won. It's not as much wow. as Ninja uh-huh. makes, but there's starting to be money. Yeah, that's not even that much. And it's not, I, I, I could take 12000 for playing Mario 64. Oh, yeah, sure. Jacob doesn't want it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, Thing with uh, GoldenEye, if I could just say, you know, played a lot of it back in the day. Graphics do not hold up today. It's basically unplayable today. Slappers only (laughs) where a hand looks like a polygon Uh, just stretched out. Yeah. How dare you? So the 64 still uh, has legs in my opinion. Yeah, well, speaking of it still having legs, Colin, as the other Switch boy on the uh, the pod here, how far are we from the emulator coming to to Switch? When we have Nintendo, years. we have Super Nintendo. 
You no, think? It's we're not even close, buddy. The way that they're milking this thing, normies. If you get on this eShop right now and you try to buy Doom sixty four, Turok, Turok two, these are N sixty four games. They have not updated, but they are just reselling and porting for nine ten dollars sometimes. I mean, Joe, if people oh, are already God. willing to pay $10, why are they going to give it away to their subscription service that barely has any games already? Yeah. Well, that breaks my heart. I was really hoping you'd be like, oh, Joe, I, I read that it's coming next week and you can no, play it. No, no, because if they did, we would be getting the 1998 brand strengthening Pokemon stuff. They would be moving on to Game Boy. Guys, in 1998, Yellow comes out where literally they're oh. like, okay, hold on. Like, this worked. <laughs> like, oh, don't move, don't move, don't move. Okay, Pokemon, Game Freak. This worked. Do it again. Do it with the anime-inspired stuff. The cartoons TV kind of showing huge. on TV in yeah. 1998 at this point. Pokemon, Let's make it more like movie. that. Really highlight yeah. Pikachu a lot. <laughs> oh, guys, he's the mascot now. Forget everything we said about Clefairy for some reason. <laughs> it, it was never going to happen. What? No, so, it's, that's trash. No, it's not going to be Eevee. It's got to be this little guy here. And also the brand is taking risks where truly you don't know how marketable something is until you test it in multiple audiences. The fact that they were willing to take Pokemon so quick to the N64 with Pokemon Stadium, it just shows you how much they just wanted that brand to succeed. Yeah, Pokemon Snap. Yeah, which oh, sorry, was a little later. No, but I think like Stadium 64, it's like everything that they've been doing with the main Pokemon games up to Sword and Shield was leading up to having the combat that you had on Nintendo 64 on your portable Pokemon games. Like we just got yeah, there Mike, this year. The, the fact that it's only just caught up to it too yeah. is so pathetic. Colin, young Colin in 1998, while Jacob was daydreaming about inventing the internet and all these other great things, <laughs> was literally being like, I can't wait till video games have you move with the Pokemon and they're out there and it's live and they're like moving in the matches and stuff. We still don't fucking have that shit. Barely, right? Yes. I mean, do you guys remember like getting your, your Super Nintendo and then going to a secondhand game shop to get the, the, the brick you would put in so you could put a Game Boy cartridge in there? Yep. The Super Game like Boy digging that out. adapter. Yeah, the being Super like, Game Boy. Why are you not playing your Nintendo 64 and you're digging out your, your Super oh, Nintendo to do that? Yeah. You so could also play uh, to my life. mom that, Joe. Why are you sitting down playing what looks to be a terrible video game? And I'd be like, no, it's yeah. cool. It's on the TV. It's the best thing ever. But there's um, also... I want to bring up the the experience of, of Blockbuster in relation to video mm. games. Did you guys own Pokemon Stadium? Because I remember like... yeah begging to rent it and renting it like two or three times in a row most of these games were rentals for me now i own stadium and snap um and i was going to mention that um there is also an adapter for the n64 controller that you could play uh, game boy games out of as well okay so yeah which they would always have weird i mean famously we just had an auction for the nintendo playstation what do you guys know about that yeah, Nothing. Very strange. So, uh, <laughs> a Sony based system was originally chosen by Nintendo to make the add-on disc system for the N64. Negotiations fell through, and they said, "Well, we have this technology. We'll just make a Sony PlayStation later." But they just sold the Nintendo, like PlayStation, the first prototype at, a, at an auction for like three hundred sixty thousand dollars. Wow. 
That's crazy. So I think that's what you're looking at, too, in 98, is you have the two big hitters, Nintendo 64 and then Sony's PlayStation. It just come off of Final Fantasy VII being a huge hit last 97. And, and Mike, it that's was going to come to that system on Nintendo. Never did, except now we can obviously play it on the Switch. We're about to get the remaster. But really, you're right. This is also the year where Sony is finding their way. Like you said with Spyro, with Crash Bandicoot, Metal Gear Solid, we Go should talk about. We did that episode. Yeah. Guys, they were sort of finding, oh, kind of like Silent Hill, kind of like Resident Evil. People like these sort of top-down 3D human adventure games. Let's kind of pave our path here. And there were no slouches with fighting games and 2D games because Symphony of the Night came out and Street Fighter Alpha 3, which Street Fighter Alpha 3 is still my favorite Street Fighter game. You also have Marvel vs. Capcom come out, which, I mean... So there was a lot of um, things from Sony's end that this is really when they took over because they were on the CD and, you know, 64 was on the cartridge. So you could have bigger games on PlayStation, but you had better performing games on the 64, which I think is why the speedrunning community leans on the 64, because the fundamentals were a lot stronger, even though the games were interesting. Lower fi. Yeah, that's my opinion. I don't know. (laughs) I love it. Last video game I want to shout out here for the 1998 area. If you were like me, you were going to a lot of Big Lots or Kmarts with your mom uh, being dragged there. She wasn't uh, letting you do much, but you would run over to the arcade system. We talked about it in some previous episodes, an SNK or a Neo Geo cabinet maybe. Oh, yeah. But the big thing was the House of the Dead cabinet, guys, with the light gun. Like maybe, maybe if you were in a rundown Dave and Buster's, you would see the Area 51 that kind of predated this. But this was the big light gun video game that you would see in stores for the next 20 years. And they're still making them, too. Yeah. And we get the Uwe Boll film coming out of this franchise. But no, the... Uh, oh, come on, Mike. The House of the Dead games. Yeah, they're some of the best light save, gun Save shooters. it for the House of the Dead episode, Mike. Oh, man. I'll tell you, the sound clips you could get from that voice acting. Gee, Ooh. are you all right? It's like... It's type like, of the Dead, I think it was called. Yeah, they had typing in the dead. You could learn how to type. No, yeah, and I think arcades were still big in 98. I mean, I was going to arcades, and now they're they're near gone, and it's kind of sad. Video games are in the home. Yep. But we were also getting video game news in a very weird way, and let's talk about that weird way by jumping over to the comics section, guys. It's comics in 1998. All right, flip the page, guys. It's the comics of 1998. I shouldn't say flip the page because I'm going to make a different point here that we're getting our comic and video game news kind of mixed together in one medium. So I don't know about you guys. Were you getting too many? I said before magazines, but were you getting things like Game Informer or Wizard Man? Oh, man. Yeah, I had Game Informer and um, it was like VGN or something like that. Video game Uh, news. Yeah. Yeah, I subscribed to a lot of magazines when I was younger, uh, Game Informer and Nintendo Power, which I was uh, subscribed to for a long time, many years, and uh, that was a great magazine. So there was, like, you would get that information, you would get it on the page. If you wanted to go online and seek out any sort of community of, like, what's going on with the video game news and stuff, you would go to GameInformer.com or you would go to GameSpot. Do you guys remember those early browsing web pages? which were literally like stacks of clickable hyperlinks, all text-based out. You'd click on one, it would take you to the name of the video game. 
you would see an arbitrary metric score in the corner, and that would kind of be it as far as internet video game news. So a thing started in 1998 where literally people were doing webcomics for the first time. A lot of webcomics, for some reason, were based around video game journalism, video game news, um, rating, reviewing, sort of developing that culture. In 1998, in March, Player vs. Player Online starts. It's literally a webcomic about people working at a video game company. Scott Kurtz, the writer and creator of that, just a guy who was passionate about video games. But you literally have the start of a forum where people are interacting with him being like, oh my god, you like video games too? I, you know, I like video games, but I read them in this magazine, but there's really no way for me to reach out to other people. I can do it by following your webcomics. That is true. Right. Yeah, it's like we're the Internet's getting tested out. You started to get online play, but also for like the written kind of word on anything, even movie reviews, too. But yeah, you go to like GameFAQs and find forums and then other sites like that. You know, we're starting to kind of poke our, our toes into the frontier that is online kind of content consumption. Ooh, it was a new frontier. And guys, did you do any of these? Were web comics kind of important to you? 1998, it was the advent of them. In 1995, you had literally the first web comics, which were people going like, well, I'm not going to do uh, Calvin and Hobbes. I don't want to have like a four panel structure, a three panel structure, a nine page layout, anything like that. Instead, I want to do weird sizings you could never do on the page. Oh, but I could upload a JPEG to the internet and have it be its own hosted site. That's a webcomic. I was um, I, I didn't get into web comics until a little bit later, so this kind of this passed me. But again, I'm not the comic guy, but I'm curious about um, Joe, Jacob, if you guys encountered. I know what Penny Arcade is and things like that, but I came into them later. Yeah, I came into it a little later too. I was into uh, Penny Arcade a little bit back in the day, but probably not in '98. I was super analog still. I was reading things like uh, Wizard Magazine and Toy Fair, and they would just do like essentially like reddit threads of like oh cast the new batman movie and it would just be like fan casts of Who like okay john claude van damme should play this <laughs> like yeah, and it would just be like terrible choices from comic nerds who who, who would write these so articles. But you saw so much Dolph Lundgren too, Joe. They'd be like, he's like a big action doll. Obviously, he should be Captain America slash any blonde yeah. muscle guy. And be like, no, I don't want Dolph Lundgren in these movies. I would I would love to get my hands on a bunch of old issues of that because they were always a bunch like, of old wizards. Yeah, well, and and one of the things I loved about them is they would have like two or three page previews of books. So instead of like it being released on the artist or writer's Twitter where you get two or three preview pages or on Entertainment Weekly, like Three Jokers had uh, a preview done, you would just have this this magazine where there would be like, check out Superman's new design or something like that. And it would just be a couple pages and like an actual interview with with people and like, I don't know. I mean, I was I was super analog at this point, and the stuff I was more interested in was still on the page. Oh, that blows my mind. I was so into digital webcomics at this time, guys. And again, just to paint the picture for normies, you have to understand, Penny Arcade, the biggest one that I'll talk about here in a moment that has sort of transcended the genre, we'll say. Uh, I used to make my homepage on my web browser back before you could have your own personal user setting. There, This was not Windows XP time or anything like that. It wasn't like Colin's profile. Randy Brooks would yell at me for changing the homepage of our, our communal desktop you know, <laughs> right. to a dumb webcomic. I'm trying to use Lycos, damn it. 
What do you do? <laughs> what is this? And once again, feet? get off that thing. I have to call your grandmother. I'm uh, but in between brain. doing that, guys, I would run to read webcomics because there wasn't a lot of daily content. That was sort of the thing about the day. Stuff mm. wouldn't drop or you would binge it. If you weren't catching The Simpsons once a week for new ones, it was reruns, reruns, reruns. Webcomics was a new webcomic every day. I couldn't even get that out of Marvel or DC. Like, that was astounding that these people were using the medium to just, like, put out work. Showing the early kind of advantages of such a distribution system, self-distribution in particular, you know. Totally. That's pretty awesome. On the subject of comics, uh, real like, um, cartoon strips... Uh, I was super into Calvin and Hobbes when I was a kid and my parents would buy me the, you know, collections in books and then I would just read those constantly. I was super into Calvin and Hobbes and then the other one that I got really into was called Foxtrot. You guys might remember that Bill one. Bill Almond. I love Foxtrot. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Jacob. As somebody who also enjoyed the Sunday funnies, um, would you laugh at them? I heard a comedian say the other day that he thought it was an understood rule that you wouldn't laugh at the the funny pages in the newspaper, that it was just understood that they were bad. But I remember some Garfields really killing me. <laughs> yeah, there were some that were good. I mean, Calvin Hobbes, I was a huge Calvin Hobbes fan when I was a kid. Like, I can't even under well, you have how, that how much I was into it. Of uh, <laughs> Calvin as a little doll. You really didn't understand the series. You you kind of got the mixed up <laughs> from the, looks of the tattoo. I mean, yeah, for I mean, even my um like my gaming username oftentimes is Hobbs, um, because mm-hmm. I just love the character of Hobbs as a kid. And then Hobbs Foxtrot, and I I thought that one was really funny and that had a lot of uh, pop culture references uh and you know the one the young son of of that family was super into like sci-fi and you stuff that so i was interested like in jason with your glasses <laughs> and your blonde yeah, hair yeah yeah come on yeah i'm sure you love that series <laughs> but yeah my parents would just buy me the books and then i would just read those um instead of like you know comics or anything like that literally the exact same and they would have to go to a barnes and noble or a borders or some sort of dumb Brooks yeah. brothers you know bookstore yeah, I need. I mean, I was a, I was a, I was a big reader when I was a kid. I was a big book reader, and um, my parents would actually take me. There was a Borders uh, in this this thing. It was called the Strip um, because it had, it was in Canton, Ohio. Um, had, Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was just like this big shopping area where everyone would kind of go for a long time, and they had a Borders there, and that Borders was like heaven to me, and I would always want to go. Um, and my parents would take me there on like a Friday night and that was like a fun night out for me as a kid. It was going to Borders and just being able to like look at the different books and I would get like Mad Magazine too. I would buy Mad Magazine from Borders all the time. Ah, great times, great times. Now I'm I will super read everything jealous online, these darn kids. <laughs> you yeah. can still find it all online. You can still read Daily Foxtrots, Jacob. I'm subscribed to the Foxtrot subreddit to read Bill Amman's oh. one a week that he puts out in full color, where he kind of just makes Surprise, a he's still making and them. reminds you the characters are still there. Yeah. Um, did you guys ever read Mad Magazine, by the way? Because no. um, when I was a kid, I loved it. And even, like, I just thought it was so funny that they would do these, like, parodies of different uh, pop culture properties. And they were always, like, a little like PG 13 or R rated. And I was like, Ooh, they got like sex jokes and stuff in there. That's really funny to me as a, as a nine year old. <laughs> yeah. I so saw envious. some of those, like they had the Harry pothead, like make potions yeah. under your sink mm. kind of, that was a little bit after this, but yeah, I remember seeing the Lord of the Rings one, like when fellowship of the ring came out and I just thought it was the funniest thing. It always just world. be like the word Eck or black, <laughs> you know, just like put in, it'd be like, um, yeah, like uh, mystery black. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> You're just making gross noises. 
Yeah. No, the, I don't know. Men in black. <laughs> Men in black. Yeah, that's exactly what it would be, Joe. With like Will Smith holding his nose next to Alfred P. Yeah. Newman. <laughs> right. Man, you guys weren't editors on that magazine where it seems like you have a knack for it. Joe <laughs> <It is, laughs> and I have written a bunch of spec ma- mad magazines that we are sending yeah. out. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> Uh, All how about, about comics of our time, though. Joe? How about the weird stuff we liked, Marvel and DC? They were going through some really dumb shakeups, literally, again, to tie into your episode. Check out Joe's toy episode. Toy Biz was purchasing Marvel at this time. They were joining mm-hmm. together into a weird conglomerate where it was like, okay, you're in charge of the toy end. We're in charge of the merchandising. Marvel's in charge of the books. That company became Marvel Entertainment. That is what they are now. Yeah. I mean, this is like such a fascinating time because this is right before Marvel went bankrupt and started selling everything off. Um, f- fast forward, you know, 20, 20 years and, and they are the biggest company ever. So it's kind of funny, like kids now probably don't realize that that's what it was like when we were kids is you were getting these weird reboots and, and stuff like that happening. Um, I mean, it was, you know, Comic Town was the name of my shop. It would be... wow you know, uh, quarter bins that I would go through. And then the new stuff, which was kind of the first time we were seeing reboots, right? I mean, I see in the notes here, you have Spider-Man. Um, the first time we get an issue number one in a long time. And it's, uh, since 1963, Joe, a first amazing Spider-Man number one. And I'll go ahead and shout out my local comic shop, Gen City Comics, where I probably went to buy the Spider-Man number one and saw the weird large breasted hentai that he would keep right behind himself (laughs) at the register that I would just stare at as I purchased my comic books. Ah, a man of culture. So this, uh, (laughs) so this was John Byrne, um, drawing and writing the book. Like he was like a one man army in terms of that. Like he had an inker and a colorer and that was it. It was just him doing the whole thing. The cover is a great homage to the original amazing fantasy 15. Um, and John Byrne, like pretty sure he was involved in the, the Phoenix stuff. Oh, uh, Batman legends, men, Batman legends. Um, he wrote Indiana Jones comics in the late eighties wow. and also Good illustrated call. some of them. So, like, he was, you know, a, a comic legend. I mean, the dude's, like, in his 60s now, I think. But he's, you know, basic comic comic royalty, and he's coming to do an, an issue number one take. And I remember being so excited because it was new and, like, everything that I was reading before was just kind of, like I said, like quarter bins where you would just get random issues and then eventually, like, oh, okay, I need – I need issue number 556 so I can see this because a couple weeks ago I picked up issue number 534 and now Mm. I don't know what's going on. Joe, that's too much. Do you remember just the feeling of picking up in one of those? Because a lot of times like my mom would just like get me one of those quarter books that she had just gotten, you know, if, if she was out at a grocery store or something, they had them at the end of the aisle. And up in the corner, regardless of what comic number it was, it would have an arc number where it would say three of five. You'd be like, well, I only yeah. own this one. <laughs> and you yeah, just I don't like, know what's going to happen. It's, it's just it's the like, This is it. worthless. Okay, so Deadpool yeah. is meeting Blade, and him and Wolverine are teaming up. Seems like this is just the issue where everybody just gets to know each other. <laughs> I got like, the one oh, where they no. just meet. Yeah. All yeah. No, I like, and this is a time where, you know, it hadn't been rebooted since the 60s. If you fast forward three years, you're going to see an entire new universe in Marvel Comics. You're going to have the birth of the ultimate universe. Since then, we've had 
you know, the the heroic uh, age, Marvel Now, Marvel Now with an exclamation point, Marvel Classic or whatever, whatever they're doing now. Legacy, well, I'm sorry. Let's just even talk about, you know, their rivals. You're saying Marvel is pulling themselves up from their bootstraps and they're going to reinvent, reinvent, reinvent. DC kind of digging their own grave in that they're doing pretty good. <clears throat> In fact, they're doing well enough to purchase one of their rivals. They buy Jim Lee's Wildstorm. Jim Lee was a guy who was just bouncing around, doing his own thing. I'll run over to Marvel. I'll run over to DC. I want to just work on my own stuff. Hey, no, no, no. Get back here, Jim Lee. You need to be DCs. We don't want to buy this thing. We basically want to buy you. And now you've got Dan Didio, who was literally just ousted as president last week at DC, and Jim Lee is acting president of DC Entertainment. Like, all of it. Oh, wild. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And they were doing some, time. like, really bizarre stuff. Like, you had, this was the the total Justice era of Justice League comics, where you had, like, Edgelord, um, Aquaman with the Hulk. Aquaman's this getting muscular, his hand oh, yeah. he's cutting his hand off. People don't know yeah. what to do with Superman. He's being split in two, and people are like, oh my god, he's Superman red and Superman blue. And I was Superman oh. bi, because that seemed like the stupidest thing on the planet to me. It worked for Pokemon. I, I still don't know what that is. I, I, I still don't understand what If you what gave happened. me an entire podcast, Joe, we wouldn't be able to explain it. We will when we finally yeah. do our Superman episode, and then we'll <laughs> high-five across from each other as we go, wow, we got through that. But until then, and no, like, I have no idea. You know, basic rundown for you guys who don't know, not even about what the run is, but he's, he's, he doesn't have the cape anymore. He's basically like living laser style of just like, he just has electricity powers, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, Superman was totally different. And then you were making like really like Tower of Babel came out around this time, I think, where like you had like really leaning into some of the like edgy Batman stuff. Oh, Batman's just like, fuck you to everybody he knows. This is a weird. This Superman. is like no man's land too, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is all bad. So comics, comics are kind of on the out. We'll go back again to the web comic part just to talk about Penny Arcade for a minute. Mike Krahulik and Jerry Holkins as their avatars, Tycho Bra and Gabe, were such a seminal part of my life that I used to think about getting the Pac-Man tattoo that Gabe has. Mm. It just they wrote about comics. They had a surreal weird sense of humor that the medium of art allowed them to get out but talking about video games in particular just was such a joy for them and it just seemed so relevant they would play a game and make a comic the next day about it i would be playing that game and go oh my god they just get it relevant memes man (laughs) mike it was memeing before there were memes there were no memes this was the memes and these guys go on to be great i mean Penny Arcade becomes Penny Arcade Expo. PAX is one of the biggest video game conventions of all time. That is them just being like, we've always been fans of video games. We're this huge corporate entity now. Let's give it back. Let's invent Child's Play, one of the biggest charities of all time. Hmm. No, that's really awesome. And yeah, it just starts at the humble beginnings, 1998. And that's what we're looking at is how did 98 kind of shape where we are now? Um, That's right. It's really impressive. Um, and while we're on the subject of, you know, print media, I don't have a lot to add to comics, but I did want to shout out regular books again real quick. Ooh, um, no, sorry. Regular Nerd books. alert. <laughs> yeah, no, I read a lot when I was a kid That's and specifically uh, two series that I, I enjoyed a lot. One, 
Animorphs. I mean, come on, Animorphs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, everybody loves knows. Animorphs. And, and obviously there was the, the TV show starring Sean Ashmore, which was also great. Jacob, um, that is in this year, 1998. 1996, the Animorph books come out. They're a huge sensation. Obviously, that is paving the way for Wizards in the 2000s, the YA Revolution, Hunger Games, mm-hmm. sort of the movies absolutely. we consuming in the 2000s. Jacob, yeah, how close are we to a Netflix Animorphs TV show? How is nobody I, mining K.A. Applegate or whatever the hell her name is? Yeah, you know what? I have been, um, this has been a pitch that I've had for a long time because there was the show on Nickelodeon. Um, not the best, you know, the the, gra- the special effects I did not hold up this to this episode, day. Jacob, the whole series is on YouTube. I just scrubbed yeah. forward to see what the weird blue aliens look like to see if it holds up. <laughs> the Ooh, I got news yeah. for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah not so great but i read i was obsessed with those books you know i would be in school we would have the scholastic book uh fairs right and i would oh, go yeah. i would go there like every month or whatever buy the newest uh fucking animorph books loved them and they had the the um spinoffs they had the andalite chronicles and the and the all that sh- all that stuff now a very quick tie-in to your episode, Jacob. I should have pointed this out. As a guy who kind of works in the LA school system out here, I have seen a couple um scholastic book fairs that obviously still go on and stuff and sort of peruse through. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you know, Jacob, most of the books purchased are Fortnite and Minecraft survival guides, quote unquote, books uh, set in that God. universe, <laughs> things like that. You you would make a killing there, buddy. Yeah, he know you know what whoever whatever gets the kids reading, you know, I'm Glad you almost said whatever gets books. the kids off, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> whatever gets the kids off. Whatever gets the kids addicted to Fortnite is what I say. It's funny that that's the bestseller because, yeah, the only print media I was really looking at at the time would be like maybe a cheat code book or strategy guides, which is oh, the, that's the true, same yeah. thing that they're selling over there. So That's exactly strategy guides for sure. I never right. used it. Um, I, I'm kidding, though. I never needed one. I was too fucking good at games. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mike, sure. I see. You're wearing a Game Genie shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Game shirt. Yeah, so... So Animorphs was really big. Um, this was uh, a little bit before Harry Potter, but obviously I was into that when it came out. And then the other series that I, you know, loved, loved, loved when I was a kid, fucking Redwall, uh, Brian Jacques, oh, um, basically, you know, uh, Game of Thrones with where they're all mice and rabbits and, and otters and shit. Yeah, now um, Jacob, that's not Netflix. That's HBO. Shit. We got to no, get yeah. Red Wall. That's, this is my we other pitch. High-end quality blood. I want to see fucking rodents <laughs> stabbing each other. Hell and yeah. Like, oh, why did you do it, mate? I'm just a guy. Because there was, a, there was an animated show uh, that I don't remember very well, but they could do I they could do a Netflix adaptation. I was thinking when I was watching, you know, these Castlevania show that they made, why not do a similar art style with Red Wall? I would watch the shit out of that. Um, yeah. and there's so many books that they could adapt from. And I mean, he wrote, he, he died a few years ago, unfortunately, but, uh, he wrote like 20, 25 books in this series. So tons to of material. Jock. That's sad. Yeah. RIP. Um, but yeah, I loved those books when I was a kid. Like I was obsessed. Like I had the whole series. I read them constantly. Those were like my Lord of the Rings um, when I was that age. So Again, yeah. I would say they inspired so much. Why haven't we gone back to mine them? I'm on Jacob's train. Let's do something with either of those. Yes. Come on. It seems adapt so Redwall, obvious. adapt Animorphs. Come on. Easy. Nostalgia Animorphs points. On CW. Yeah. Yep. I, I would watch show. that. 
<laughs> That's fucking exactly where it'll go. Hey, did you hear we're crossing over with Riverdale next week? Oh, Jughead, <laughs> that kid turned into a falcon. <laughs> Sam, these be kids are turning into animals. <laughs> I remember fucking, specifically. <laughs> then a fucking blue horse walks out, Jacob, with a scorpion's tail. <laughs> oh, the Andalites, man, they were fucking badass. And the I had in the Yurks. Yeah, the, the yurks, they would crawl in your ear, control your brain. Um, the hork bajurs, you know, wow. all those. The hork bajurs. I don't yeah, even know. Usually I can yeah. get the glare of you on the, the Wikipedia page. Now I just see your but, eyes have rolled up into the back of your head and you're just reciting all of these things. He's watching yeah, the books. But I, I remember so vividly that I had the Andalite Chronicles, which was like a spinoff of the main series. And it was like my favorite book at the time. I was in like third grade. I lent wow. it to my friend in third grade or whatever. I was like, check this book out. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll read it. Never got it back from this fucking kid. So <laughs> I like, hold a, let's find him. I hold a grudge to this day. Say yes. his name on the podcast. You are reminding me. Do you guys remember <laughs> how, how important and stuff trades were when you were that young or just the responsibility of that? I had a buddy who was going away on a trip who gave me his Pokemon Yellow that summer and was like, mm. I need you to raise the levels of my Pokemon while I'm gone. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I accept this responsibility. <laughs> that reminds me of another story uh, featuring Pokemon. So I had Pokemon Red on the Game Boy. Uh, Bulbasaur main, of course. You know, yeah. my, of course. my boy Bulbasaur. <laughs> and uh, I was on my, you know, I was on my family boat uh, out on Lake Erie one time. And I was playing. <laughs> as you like, do. This is going. Really oh, exposing no. yourself As here. you do. As you do. Um, you know, we would go out to Lake Erie a lot and boat around. And I was playing the Game Boy on the boat because I was like, oh, this is boring. I boat all the time. And uh, <laughs> I fucking, we, we, what we a dock. <laughs> okay. But memes. the point of the story is so we dock at Middle Bass Island where there's Putin Bay, which is a kind of like a, a place where you can go and all the. Then the help helps you get your bags off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Putin Bay was like a, was like redneck Catalina Island in Ohio where you could go and the parents would all drink and then the kids would just run around. But we were docking. I was trying to get out of the boat. I fucking dropped my Game Boy oh. with the with Pokemon in it in the water, gone forever. And oh. I was like, "No!" And that's and worse than killing any other video game. <laughs> yeah, really. Because when you kill Pokemon, the beasts inside die. Like those are your children that you're like, "They're gone." Yeah. For, that was my Bulbasaur. Any other Bulbasaur yeah. is just a second Bulbasaur. And, and just the name was Xander. And the fact of losing my Game Boy along with the game was just like extra painful. And yeah, that was rough. That is rough, baby. All right. That's been some rough memories, some sweet memories of 1998. Let's take it home now, Normies. Let's hit that wrap up. Let's talk about this year in 2020 terms. We're back, guys. We're done talking 1998. Normies, I hope that wasn't too hard for you. I know, nostalgia bait, wah, wah, wah. It was a weird year. It was a good year. We're going to wrap it up here right now. Uh, I'll start calling here. It was my episode. Guys, I probably could have saved this as a pitch for the 98th episode. I don't know why I wanted to do a weird concept one for my March Madness. It's just something I was interested in. And oddly, this is the 89th episode, so we will call that serendipity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the inverse. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah a little weirdness. That's what we do on normies like us. Um, I set it up top. Look, in 1998, a president was being impeached. We were still watching Law and Order we and The Simpsons on TV. We almost had them. We, we almost had both of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, things were happening in the world that just continue to happen. A lot of the stuff set up in 1998, again, is the reason normies like us exist. A lot of that pop culture stuff that was permeating in people was where people were finding their identity. Godzilla was coming out, and it didn't matter if you had never seen the original. Going to that theater in that summer, you would just say, well, I'm a Godzilla guy. I love Godzilla. I know everything about it. Matthew Broderick's in it. Blah blah. He lays eggs. It's a girl, really. <laughs> her, her pee shows great she's pregnant on a pregnancy test. It, it's a great, weird iguana. Um, Reno. That's a lot of just, fish. You know, it was an important year for an important podcast. It made me who I am, and I love you, 1998. No, <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I I love this concept because it's like looking back, like, you know, in a jar, like what was 1998, and thinking about, like, yeah, the relevant things that came out that we've even covered on this show, like Metal Gear or Resident Evil 2 coming out that year. Um, you know, Mike, Godzilla, you could buy an thing. iMac for the first time. We're all using Apple products right now. I know you're using this, your Macs to, to record this episode. Not me. I'm, I'm using Master Windows. Race. That's right. Quake. <laughs> it, was, it was a Quake boy. But yeah, it's just My amazing Quake to think boys. of that stuff. You know, like, you know, E3 wasn't canceled in 1998. It was actually <laughs> a very good year for it. So, um, yeah, it, it's solid year for movies, comics, and games. I mean, I see you have 300 here. I mean, that became a huge... Zack Schneider released the Schneider cut. Remember, let's get. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, big year um, for, in a lot of ways that really still resonate today. So I think this is a really great yeah. idea and good episode. Absolutely. And Colin, you know, I was thinking how, you know, it is related to 2020. We have, a uh, you know, a president that was getting impeached, uh, a friend of Jeff- Jeffrey Epstein, you might say. Um, Ooh, uh, <laughs> I'll say it. He, I don't care. He appears on the podcast Weinstein's again. in the come. news. <laughs> Weinstein's in the news. Um, you know, a lot of parallels, a lot of parallels. But yeah, I think it was a great year for movies and just a great, like, uh, you know, the late 90s in general, a lot of classic movies came out of that era. It was the you know, the era directly previous, like I said, to the superhero boom that we're still experiencing today. Um, and yeah, it was an exciting time. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of good memories of childhood. I have a lot of bad memories of childhood. Um, but I wouldn't go Jinko back. Jeans. I would not go back. I'll tell you, one of the things I've loved about these March Madness episodes is how much they've they've tied together in a way that we did not even plan because everyone's kind of taken on a topic and and uh, and brought it to the table and we've all kind of found common ground with it. And that common ground has always tied in together. Uh, For me, I think 1998 was the first year where I really remember looking forward to things. You know, when you're a kid, things just kind of happen. You don't know when they're going to happen. They just happen and it's like, oh, this thing exists now. 98, I remember like seeing those Wild Wild West trailers and and, and waiting for the mummy and, and being so excited for, for video games that I would go to the store and rent, reading Wizard Magazine and fan casting for movies that didn't exist. Like it was kind of the birth of a lot of culture that still continues today and I'm doing just better versions of those things thanks to to technology and being an adult oh absolutely 
I mean, just sitting around here, and it is cool that they all have tied in each of these March Madnesses. Hopefully, I'm blown that away, it guys. continues to be the trend. Yeah. It shows you yeah. that what is normie will always be normie, and what is normie is kind of normie together. I think Joe's right. Like, if you're talking Minecraft, you know a lot about video games. You probably know some stuff about toys. You probably grew up when we grew up. Um, May have had Legos, taking a, right? <laughs> we all had Legos. We all had uh, Xander. Oh, we all had Legos. Xander and the we Scorpion. The Scorpion. Hell um, yeah. We're going to be taking a break next week, Normies, from the March Madness. We are just going to be doing a big whatcha. It is our 90th episode. Usually every 10 we do those, so look forward to that. Then we'll be back with Mike's pick. But uh, as always, we appreciate right. you tuning in to these Normies Like Us episodes. If you like this one, rate, review, subscribe. If you didn't, check out the other ones or hit us up at normies underscore like underscore us and let us know what you want us to do episodes on. We always like that stuff. Let us know what's normie. But until then, we've been your host. This is Colin. This is Mike Tendo 64. <laughs> Joe. Uh, this is uh, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Baby a, New Year. A perfect end. Baby Normans. New Year. <laughs> let's hit it. 1998. Drop Can- that ball. Let's party like it's 1990. Eight. Eight. <laughs> Can we get a Starscream voice real quick? Jacob, Starscream. Oh, I need to uh, hear it again. Megatron. I, I, forgot, I forgot how I did it last time. <laughs> I'll get you, Megatron. I'll accept it. <laughs> it's my fucking favorite thing. Thanks, Normies. Oh, hell yeah. This is Aquaman, and if you enjoyed that episode, I'd really appreciate it if you give it a like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, and you'd really be one of my man if you share with a friend. We'll be seeing you around. World-class transition, Colin. Wow. Oh, love you guys. Man, I'll tell you, I'm excited to talk about the trailers of 1998. Oh, yeah, Winnebago. They're all terrible. Uh, Aerostream. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah, no, that's I what you this, mean, right? I love this idea. <laughs> That's exactly right. what I mean. Winnebago. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't count. You don't like a wind stream? Yeah. All right. <laughs> You're ready. Oh, wait. We got a vape hit. Standing by. They didn't have those in 98.